to the Monsters and Suits podcast. My name is Emery, Monsters and Suits on Instagram. And today I'm very excited about our guest. He is the Sacramento State University Design Department Chair and my former professor, Richard Pratt. How are you doing today, Richard? Hi, Emery. I'm doing great. Yeah? Do you have a good day? Yeah, it's been a good one. So um, I, I wanted to talk to you. Well, one is, are, are you teaching classes right now, or are you just doing the being the chair? Yeah, the way they have it set up at, at Sac State, uh, the chairs are a partial chair, so I teach a class. And so right now I'm teaching a, an experimental class on a designing type. Oh, cool. That was, that's one of my favorite classes was, was the type design class. That and um, graphic design history was really cool because that's where I found my passion was, was – um, was with Helvetica and an international typographical style. Mm-hmm. That was the Swiss design style. Mm-hmm. When I found that out, I found my jam. I was like, that is why I'm a graphic designer. That was that was my my niche. And you taught that class. Yeah. Actually, I, you know, the, uh, the Helvetica documentary is a really great one. And uh, my wife would say she's seen it a little too many times. <laughs> but, you know, if you're into design and you're into uh, type, it's a great watch, so. Yeah, I've, I watched that with uh, with my design unit, that, and we all watched that together. It's a great movie. Yeah, and it may, it's it's like it's it makes you understand the whole story, and it makes you understand design that much more. So I super appreciate it. But um, so I want to talk to you. I want to go back to the very beginning of of what when you were a kid, were you creative? Did you have artistic leanings, or what? What's the beginning of your story? Sure, and yeah, definitely feel free to rush me along if I feel if you feel like it's getting a little bogged down. But I, so I grew up uh, in Ohio on a horse farm, so we Ooh. had about thirteen acres, and uh, yeah, I could ride horses. I was on horseback like when I was five or something like that. Ooh. And That's so cool. I had always grown up around kind of in a rural setting. Um, always enjoyed drawing and stuff. I, Actually, if I was going to take it back even further, the the elementary school I used to go to um, was in downtown Cincinnati, and it was uh, uh, I'm not sure how I ended up in that particular school, but I was one of the very few Caucasian kids in it, and so it was a lot of minority students. And one of the big things there was you got uh, some rep from being able to draw well. Uh, and cool. so everybody would come in and, you know, at this age, you're drawing spaceships and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. and comparing what kind of cars you can dry, uh, draw and stuff like that. So, yeah. So early on, I was like, oh, I can kind of make my niche because I was a fairly shy child. And so, you know, I, I was in these classrooms where were filled with kind of all these dynamic kids, loud, boisterous, and I'm kind of shy. But, you know, when we got our drawings out, it's like, oh, I got my chance to shine. So. Dude, I can definitely relate to that. That's how I was too. I was like, I was the artistic kid in the class, and um, I still have like on Facebook people be like, "I still got your drawing from sixth grade." <laughs> yeah, I, I dig it. You know, every time you move, you dig through those things, and it's like, oh yeah, I have this old drawing still. But so yeah, I started off that way, and eventually, so at that point, I had lived in Cincinnati, but then we moved out to the, the sub, uh, the rural areas, Hamilton. Uh, and that's when I lived on a farm. And so I was spending a lot of time on my own. 
uh, as we were talking about a little bit earlier, uh, you know, I was into role playing games, and so was doing a lot of D and D and stuff like that, and drawing yeah. for that. Hell yeah, yeah. Drawing everything from the maps to like, and you know, designing kind of the the castles and the maps and the everything so like that. Was, were you the dungeon master? Oh yeah, yeah. Are you still the dungeon master now? Um, on I have two different games every week, and I'm. Uh, I'm kind of on break on one. Normally, I'm the dungeon master, but we kind of like switched off, so I'm getting a little bit of break, which is good because I'm taking on the chair responsibilities, and so that's taking a lot of time <laughs> outside of, uh, of the work hour. Yeah. So right now, I'm running neither of them, but often I'm running uh, my Monday game. Because that's a lot of work preparing. Like, um, so I'm in Dungeons Dragons group, and um, my dungeon master Shane is like, I see all the work he puts into it, and it's a ton of work. And sometimes he's like. That's all I have prepared, so the session's ended. Yeah, and it's uh, it's interesting because it's a lot like teaching. Because in both instances, uh, when you're in front of a class, you're kind of uh, uh, you're kind of controlling the flow. At the same time, you're looking for feedback from the students on how things are going, and you kind of adjust the rhythm and the flow of what's going on to the the, the sense you're getting from the students. And so it's really running a, a role playing game is like a little lower stakes version of teaching a class. So I still prep for it, but it's not quite as like, okay, I'm going to have to fill up these three hours to, strangely enough, my classes are about the same length as my games. Um, uh, I had to fill up with these three hours with like, you know, keep these students interested, keep them engaged, uh, et cetera. So if they start looking bored, then, you know, you're in trouble. Yeah, exactly. Same with the Dungeons Dragons group, yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, so so was your dad a farmer? Well, he raised, he raised horses. Well, actually, it's my, my my mom. So my mom, my par- parents met at uh, University of Kentucky. My mom has got a degree in uh, of all things animal husbandry, and <laughs> my dad had a degree in uh, uh, engineering, mechanical engineering. Ooh, and cool. so. Uh, when we moved to a farm, it was kind of like my mom's ever since she was young. That's what she wanted to kind of like, you know, when she got older to live uh, on. So, and she had a horse already at that time. And so, yeah, so we moved out there. Um, but when I went to school, uh, at Ohio, my first school I went to was Ohio State University. Much like my father, I started off in engineering. So my father was a mechanical engineer, engineer, and I started off as an aerospace engineer. Whoa, whoa. And uh, I was also at that time in uh, Air Force ROTC, which comes as a surprise to some people. Yeah, it does. Uh, you see those old pictures of me having a buzz cut, like most people associate. <laughs> I have long hair and stuff like that. And I'm a vegetarian now. And they're like, I really don't see you as a ROTC kind. But yeah, there's some old pictures of me in my uniform. Uh, Dude, there's a big benefit, though. I mean, they, they pay for your classes, right? It depends on... So I... At the point where I had to make a commitment, which is when they start paying for classes, I decided, uh, I'm going to date myself now, this was in uh, 1989 when the wall was coming down, and I wanted to be a pilot because I was in Air Force, ROTC, um, and there was no slots going to anybody because the Cold War was ending. So unless you went to the Air Force Academy, you weren't going to get one of those slots, and most likely you'd end up in a missile silo somewhere in the (laughs) middle of the country. Uh, so yeah, I wasn't really into that, so I decided, eh, okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fully commit. Uh, strangely enough, that's the same time I got um, really um, engineering. 
I've never had a problem with the math or the science of it, but it was I found it uh, not all that exciting. And so uh, basically, you know, my parents were great. They offered to pay for my school, uh, my undergrad education. And I, but I went to them and I said, hey, I'm going to switch from my engineering degree, aerospace engineering, to fine arts. I want a painting and drawing degree. Ooh. Yeah, so that was a little bit of a conversation. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, my mom was totally supportive. My dad was supportive, too. He's just like, okay, but, you know, after this four years, eh, you're on your own kind of thing, so do what you got to do. Uh, and as soon as I switched to an art degree, um, I really, like, found my people. Like, the, there's, yeah. a, the, you know, the way artists approach life and each other and just uh, the, the world around them in a creative way, it's like, okay, I feel really comfortable with these people where the engineers are great, but there's... My brother's also an engineer, so my, my dad and my brother were both, and it's, it definitely runs in the family, but they're not, it's not quite uh, something that I uh, uh, hooked into the same way I, when I switched to art. I can relate to that. I mean, um, the graphic design and, the, and arts have a big community and um, really cool people, and, uh, and I've definitely found that myself. It's been pretty cool. Yeah, I def at least in my case, I definitely felt like I had more room to be who I was, right? And, and a little, everybody around me was being creative, uh, and we would, you know, you could just sit around and talk about, you know, these different things you're trying, different interests you have, and it just felt really comfortable. Yeah, that's cool, man. Yeah, that's cool that you found yourself going through, uh, going through school. Mm -hmm. And it was... It was, it was a great time. So I didn't know, at that time, I didn't know what graphic design was. I didn't know, I barely knew art because I wasn't interested in art in high school at all. I felt like it was, I think this was a misconception on my part, but I just didn't feel like, you know, being taught how to do it was something that I was like, ah, let me just kind of explore it on my own. I didn't want the structure, I don't think. But when I got into college, I was almost the opposite. It was like, okay, I'm really interested in all these things. So teach me the mediums. Teach me what I can work with, uh, what, what are the possibilities are. And one of the things that led me to the graphic design was I really loved those years in art school. And, uh, and my degree was painting, drawing, and printmaking. I think I probably leaned to the printmaking drawing most. Um, but everything I learned about the medium still left me with a lot of questions. And so when I graduated, uh, uh, as maybe a couple other art majors, I ended up waiting tables and pretending bar for a while. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, you know what, I still have a lot I want to learn about the way perception works and vision and stuff like that. So there's then at that point I knew heard about graphic design and thought, oh, I bet they can t teach me something. So rather than going back to school uh, and uh, getting a master's in art, I decided, well, let me just do an undergrad in graphic design. So I went to the University of Cincinnati, which has a pretty good design program. They're really well known for their internships. And I, um, I went back and trying to find out like things like, okay, art school doesn't teach you anything about type. And it didn't teach me enough about kind of the rules of hierarchy or perception. Maybe that was a failing on my part as a student, but I found when I went to graphic design, it was almost like art gave me part of the education I was looking for, and graphic design gave me the other one, uh, the other half. And so I really kind of 
it was really one enjoyable to come back to school as a little bit of an older student. So yeah. my classmates were a little younger and I felt like, eh, I know why I'm here. I'm not here to like, you know, necessarily hit on everybody or like <laughs> go out and like drink all day and drink all night and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, I kind of focused my attention and, uh, there was a couple of the other older students in our class too. And we kind of became the, um, the classes were really close, so there was always kind of, I, I want to go nearly far to say leader, but kind of just one of the people that set this tone in those classes because we were older and we are like, okay. Took it more seriously. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, um, when I was going through the program, I, I was one of the older kids, I think, too. and um, and But that's because it took me forever to get through City College and all mm-hmm. that BS to get over Sac State. But when I got to Sac State, other kids were partying, and no, I was not doing that. Yeah, it's definitely, I think, uh, for most people, you know, when you go to college that first time, it's like, okay, I'm finally on my own. I can do whatever I want to <laughs> do. Uh, and that freedom is great. Um, but yeah, after a couple of years, you're like, okay, that was fun. But now I kind of know I, w- I want to get something out of this. I don't yes. want to be in the same place I was when I came into it. So, so yeah, I went, I went back to the University of Cincinnati, but I only went for two years there. And then my one of my teachers pulled me aside, and he's like, hey, if you can spend another year here and get a second bachelor's, but you should just apply to get your master's at uh, somewhere. I said, well, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, what do you recommend? And he, he maybe, uh, um, he recommended uh, Cranbrook, Yale, and Rhode Island School of Design, which is RISD. There are some really great schools, and I was like, eh, okay, I'll, I, you know, I can try it. And so I applied, um, and I got a call back from RISD, and uh, they, they had a – so RISD at the time had uh, an instructor running their grad program who's really into semiotics. And um, for those of you listening, semiotics is uh, kind of the philosophy of, of signs, the study of, of meaning, uh, and – and that was really, at this point, I realized, okay, my visual education, my kind of visual literacy, what I really wanted to think about was how do I make something visually interesting and what, what the rules are about it. I don't care if you call it art. I don't care if you call it design. I was just interested in trying to discover some of the rules about what what moves people to, like, pay attention. Heck, yeah. And so... Uh, so yeah, so so it turns out there's a kind of there's a name for that when it comes to philosophy, and it was semiotics in my mind, semiotics and aesthetics. And so uh, when I applied, I wrote uh, I can't remember what the, you had to write a statement of some sort, and I said you know, semi I was interested in semiotics and aesthetics, and I think that along with the recommendation I got from my instructor at University of Cincinnati, uh, got me in. So for those of you listening. And don't know, Rhode Island School of Design is probably one of the. I'm not. Sure, I'm not sure if it's the best, but it could be the best in the, in the United States. I, it's I, definitely probably one of the top two. Yeah, I think it tends to. I haven't been following it too much recently, but I think at the time I went, Yale was considered the top, and then I think it's got, went to RISD, and then I went back to Yale. They haven't. I've kind of been out of the loop for at least 10 years now. So I've been teaching at Sac State for 20. Um, and when I was, uh, there was this thing between RISD and Yale where 
the graduates would often teach at the other university. So a lot of my instructors at RISD were from Yale. And a oh, lot really? of the instructors at Yale were from RISD. And so there's so interesting back and forth between those. Uh, I don't know if that's the case anymore. Um, so yeah, so I went to RISD. Uh, it was uh, the nice thing about a lot of grad schools is it's self-directed. So you can explore what your interests are. Um, RISD is located right next to Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, and they have an agreement with Brown, so you can take some classes at Brown in addition to taking classes at RISD. Um, so that was, that was great. I mean, it's worth saying, though, uh, not to, I, I love RISD, but it is an expensive school. Um, so <laughs> You're still paying on that right now? <laughs> it took me a long time to pay off those student loans. Uh, so, And I only went for two years. So if you went as an undergrad to RISD, you're looking at some bucks. Um, so, But now I've eventually got the student loans paid off, but it took a little while. Dude, I'm still working on mine, to be honest. And I think once that the Biden thing comes in, then I'll be good, but... Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, for all my friends, and I have uh, friends my age that are still working on their student loans, it's like, yeah. definitely, a, a, you know, good to see them be able to get out from underneath that, because. Yeah, that's a pretty penny. Mm-hmm. That's pretty penny. So, what's the best thing that you learned when you were at RISD? Um, I would say, it's learning, uh, not to give you a too wishy-washy answer here, but. I mean, learning is a pretty broad thing, um, and you know, if we're talking classes, the philosophy classes I took actually were really great. But the one of the nice things about uh, the graduate classes, where you you took them with other people from other uh, majors, and so we had like glass blowers in there and painters, and wow. furniture designers, and things like that. And it was really kind of going back to my what first turned me on to art is like talking to these people who had different interests but had this really great creative energy. And so to me, RISD was nonstop creative energy. And so I, uh, I learned a lot in the very kind of technical, philosophical side, academic side of things uh, as far as philosophy goes. But I think I learned a lot, maybe even a lot more on the creative side of things, more in between the classes. The classes were great and the instructors were phenomenal. I guess RISD is also where I first learned to teach because to get some money, I was a a teaching assistant. Oh, wow. And I actually, at that point, was teaching photography because they needed people to teach the, you know, the dark room and basic, uh, basic. Back in the day. Yep. Yeah. So, no, I mean, not to date you again, but Mm -hmm. so what year did you go to RISD? So, let's see, that... um, that would have been 97. So I was living in Providence when uh, when the millennium switched over. So we went from 20th to 21st century. So at that time, they were just, computers were just coming in the industry, right? And um, it's like Macs were, were, uh, were there and internet was just, just, just coming up. And so a lot of the graphic design was doing paste-ups and doing Ruby lifts and all that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah, I was, I never had to do a paste up and there are people my age who did, but when I went to uh, the University of Cincinnati and when I eventually had an internship in Pittsburgh for a while, uh, one of the nice things about UC 
uh, University of Cincinnati, I can't say UC in, <laughs> on the West Coast. Yeah. Uh, people understand. Uh, the University of Cincinnati um, is their internships were around the country and you got, and you did it uh, on the opposite quarters that you were, were uh, going to class. So you might have a winter summer internship or a spring fall internship. And you went there and you stay like some of the, some of the places offered you places to stay, which is mm-hmm. in my case, they paid for my apartment in Pittsburgh. Whoa. And I did, I worked with this company that uh, Agnew Moyer Smith, I think they're still around. They did a lot of design work for steel case, but they also did uh, Pittsburgh at the time news uh, baseball stadium, uh, the graphics for that. But to get back to what we were talking about is none of the, none of my instructors knew how to use a computer or barely knew how to use a computer. And we were, we were printing things out, but it was all like, okay, you, you did it at home, you did uh, printouts, you brought them to school, and then you did sketches while you were at school and you got critiques because we didn't have laptops then that were, were worth you know, the money. And when I was uh, interning, often the, 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 uh, the head graphic designers, art directors, that's the word I was looking for, uh, they would often say, like, have you be their hands. So they didn't know the computers. I mean, they knew them well enough, but, the, you know, young people always pick up on these things faster. Yes, and, they do. And so so often we would be like, they'd be like, ah, come over here, sit at my desk, do Illustrator for me, and this is what I want it to look like. And so you're like, okay. And, you know, you're starting off. You know, it's all it's all good. You learn, you know, the industry. It's all black and white Illustrator back then, I think, right? Yeah, it was... Uh, yeah, it was interesting. So, and of course, back then, well, most people I probably don't remember Quark Express. That was the day. Dude, I remember Quark. I took I took a class on that. <laughs> yeah, the big layout program before InDesign. So, and this was back when Photoshop and Illustrator were on number twos and threes as far as the, <laughs> the, 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 the software suites. I remember going to Sac City. I took a Quark class, and then when I got done, um, when the teacher said, "Well, you should probably take InDesign too." I'm like, really? I'm like, I just took this class. They're like, yeah, that, that's that's up and coming. And uh, I haven't regretted it. Yeah, no, Cork was very uh, arrogant in their approach to software because they were the king of the hill. Uh, they were the first great layout program, and they uh, they didn't think they could do anything to cause the industry to shift. And Adobe had uh, you know Illustrator and Photoshop, and that was all they had but they decided well you know we we we're making our money on illustrator photoshop we can probably afford to try this other thing and there was so much uh, dislike among the industry for how per- poorly the support for cork express was how difficult it was to get things done the way you want to do the the interface design was not great and so so yeah they lost their you know lost their seat on the throne uh, when they thought they could never lose it. But, yeah. I mean, that's what's great about the Adobe products, the Adobe Suite, is the interface is pretty easy to use. Mm-hmm. You know, so. Yeah, what I try to, what's interesting is one of the things I try to tell my students a lot um, is uh, having these programs really easy to use, they're based default on what most likely wants to be done. Right, so they're all they all make it really easy to do what most people do. So if you're trying to do something that most people aren't doing, if you want to kind of chart your own way, then it's going to be harder because you're going to have to f- 
not necessarily fight the interface, but the interface isn't going to help you as much. And so I try to tell the students, like, be aware, any program you sit in front of or any medium you use, pencil, uh, chalk, whatever, it's going to steer you towards a certain kind of visual output. Yes. And if you sit down without knowing what you want to do, without, you know, like sketching, thinking about it, if you just sit down and say, let's see what happens, the odds are if you're sitting in front of an illustrator, it's going to look very illustratory. If you sit in front of Photoshop, it's going to look very much like it came from Photoshop. And you're much better off uh, thinking about what you're trying to get from it and just and not let the, the programs kind of steer you inadvertently. They, they're great products, but they're, they make their money by making the most common things easy to do. And if you're trying to do the non-common thing, uh, you need to think about it. Yeah, I remember learning that. I think that's a really important lesson and because um, they all have limitations. And so you'll just be at that program's mercy with the limitations and that's what you end up doing. And um, I definitely remember being taught to sketch out and do all these sketches first before you go into the program because otherwise you're at the program's mercy for sure. Yeah, so as long as you keep that in mind and are, are sensitive to uh, the creative process. So at the same time, I had a really good painting instructor at Ohio State, and he was very, uh, he was very adamant of also about not preconceiving the final project. It's like you don't want to be fascist, fascist about where you're taking whatever thing you're creating. And so he was like, if you think you're going to think of the final product and just march in that direction, then you're missing the whole, the whole. Uh, uh, creative uh, feel, the, the, the chance to create something new. Because most likely the thing you think of beforehand, that idea is probably something you saw around you or you saw somebody else do, etc. But if you sit down in front of the program or you sit in front of your easel with a paintbrush and you have an idea, but at the same time you are uh, being aware of what's happening around you, like looking for those happy accidents, looking at those weird juxtapositions, talking to the person next to you and seeing what they're doing. It's like, oh, wait, that gives me an idea too. And so being the, the creative process shouldn't be one of have an idea at the start, produce that idea at the end, and nothing happened in between those two things. That is so cool. I mean, because I'm a painter now, and um, I do... So I've done graphic design and, and fine art. And um, I've always kind of known that with graphic design. I mean, there's a creative process that we learn in school, but it um, evolves as you're, as you're making the design or the concept. It changes. And um, I've noticed that with, with my painting too, but I didn't know that because um, I didn't take any fine art classes. So I'd never heard that before. So that's really cool, man. Yeah, it, obviously it stuck with me. You know, you have those certain things that you're, whether it's in school or uh, talking to other people around you and just uh, they stick for whatever reason. And that was one of the things. Uh, this guy, this painting instructor was really great, though. He was very punk. So this uh, would have been, you know, mid You say very punk? Yeah, punk. He had, like, had a mohawk and he had a... Uh, I, I don't know what the story was, but he had a fake leg, like he had a plastic leg Whoa. from like mid hip down, Dude. and so he had a bit of a limp. But he would always like, you know, wear kind of cut off, uh, you know, cut off pants like at the knee, and you're like, 
okay, yeah, you, you know, you're missing a leg. But he was totally <laughs> cool with it. He's just like, I, I, I'm sure he must have told us a story at some point, but it, it didn't stick. But, uh, so he had a punk philosophy yeah. to art. He was like, dude, just see see where it goes. Yes. Yeah, yeah the flow of it. Yeah. That's cool. So, um, well, let's go back. So how did you go from RISD to Sac State? So it's it was an interesting... Um, I've always, I'll kind of circle back around to that answer. I've always had this uh, sense that um, I could trust my gut or my intuition about where I was going, right? So uh, I'm in grad school. Uh, I'm spending a ton of money. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I graduate because I didn't necessarily think I was going to be a teacher or instructor, right? And so I... I graduated, one of my professors had a little uh, firm in Providence and he offered me kind of like a starting gig. And so I was like, sure, I'll sign up for that. And then there was a, a, a opening for a beginning graphic designer at Northeastern University, um, which was up in Boston. And I was living in a little studio in Providence and uh, I applied for it. I got the, the job and I ended up taking Amtrak up to Pro up to Boston every day and back. It's a you know it's about an hour ride, but it was pretty chill. You could like listen to music or work on your laptop or something like that. I really learned to enjoy the ride. Um, but I ended up working at Northeastern University as a graphic designer for about a year or two. Um, I did. Uh, if you guys ever have a chance to work for a university, it's really great because of the mix of projects you get to do. So I. I designed the president's memoirs when he retired. He he wrote a book, and I designed that. I designed uh, magazines for the engineering department. I designed posters, etc. Uh, one of the favorite projects was actually designing the application because some designing kind of like structured forms can actually be kind of rewarding too. But I was getting all sorts of like different uh, experiences there, and. Uh, Eventually, though, I felt like, okay, because at that point, I hadn't had too many years of professional experience, but I, I knew I, I was realizing I wanted to teach, but I didn't, like, I didn't want to go from grad school to teaching and not having a couple of years of work. That's probably smart. So, uh, so I worked there. Uh, eventually, on uh, one of the writers for the magazine I was working on, I uh, started to date her. Uh, we dated for about six months, and then I started applying to universities, and I got, I got accepted. Uh, I sent applications to uh, Sac State. I sent one to a school in Iowa, and I sent one to a school at, in Dayton, Ohio. And I asked the person I was seeing, "Is like, well, we can go to any. We can go to Dayton, Ohio, or Iowa." <laughs> Or we can, you know, go to California, where you want to go. And she's like, eh, she hates the snow, despite growing <laughs> up. And so she's originally from Rhode Island. So she's like, eh, I need to get out of here. So I was like, fine. So I applied to Sac State. Um, the thing that always surprises me is I'm generally, uh, I would consider myself pretty level-headed. I don't know what got into me because we were like, we had known each other for six months. We had never lived with each other. And I was like, okay, let's move across the country and move in. And Is that here start, now? Yeah. And so nice. we moved out here 20 years ago. And I think we were out here for about five or six years before we got married. And yeah, so we're still here. And uh, I would, I, you know, if somebody came and asked me about this, I would be like, eh, it's probably not a wise idea. You don't have a lot of like safety net under there. 
but you know, it worked out. Again, I kind of trusted my gut. And generally, when I've had some options, I didn't mind taking the, the riskier option if I uh, if it was also the one that kind of felt right or felt more creative or that fed me more. It was the right move. Look at you now. So what was the program like when you first started working there to where it is now? What's, what are some of the differences? Well, the biggest difference was when I started there, um, there was a 750 graphic design majors. And so uh, we currently graduate about 40, 60 uh, graduates a year. Well, it's definitely, it's only 40 now, but we, you know, there's some wiggle room in there. Um, and so when I started, there were 750 majors, and it was taking everybody like six or seven years to get Whoa. through because we couldn't offer enough classes for that number of people to make it through. So I can't remember, Emery, when you started, but uh, at one point we became impacted, which generally the university doesn't like because impaction means you're limiting the number of the people that become majors. But it allowed us to say, okay, we're impacted. We're only going to take so many people, but the people we do take, they can get through in four years, maybe four and a half, where before everybody would take five, six. I think six was more the normal seven sometimes, and so you just didn't know how long you'd be in school. I, I was the second year of the cohort. After, so second year after impact. Yeah, and there was, I don't know how many people applied, but I was I was lucky to get in. I think um, I got in because... I had done all this pre-work um, at Sac City. Mm-hmm. So I'd taken all these underground, uh, undergrad graphic design classes at Sac City. And um, I also was working at Aaron Brothers, which was doing like very attention to detail oriented cutting with razor blades and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So when it came to uh, making my portfolio, it was pretty on point. And I think that's that's what did it. But um, as I was I was worried, and same was same with everyone else that was taking the GD classes, that wasn't in the program yet, and we just kept on hearing how many people were applying and how many people they accepted in, and so when we got accepted in, I think we all went out and had a party, you know. Yeah, on the one hand, I I definitely feel for the people that don't get in. So currently, the situation is we normally get somewhere around eighty applicants, and we can only take forty. Oh, that's not too bad. So, yeah, I mean, they definitely, you know, 50-50 chance, you know, the odds are, you know, If you not, do your pre-work, you know, you'll be all right. So, the uh, so yeah, we get we, the 40 in. Uh, the 40 that don't get in, they can try applying again. Um, but the the nice thing about that it creates, the, the, the advantage to it, as I'm sure you experienced, was those 40 students get in, we divide them into two cohorts. You take all your classes together. And so you, you know, there's going to be people, people you like, people you dislike. It's, it's any group of 20 people is going to have that, but going through a common experience that can be pretty rough sometimes. Yeah. uh, Really (laughs) kind of gives you some. Depends on your teacher. Exactly. (laughs) But there's definitely times when going out and getting drinks with the the people with your shared experience. That's what made me think about it when you said like, yeah, we all all went out. Dude, for sure. Um, My favorite thing about the cohort was, was a one, you get to know these people really well and I'm still friends with most of them. I mean, there's a couple of them that, you know, disappeared off to bigger cities or whatever, but um, I'm friends with people that were in my cohort and people that were in the other cohort that, but the same year. And um, some some of my best friends is uh, like Kevin, 
Kevin Wilhite. Um, he was in the set, the cohort on the on the uh, other days, but um, one of my best friends right now. And so, um, and uh, I think uh, Sarah was Sarah Cabry, now it's Sarah Coons, but but she's gonna be on the podcast soon. So awesome. it's, it's like you know we're still a big family. But um, I think uh, I loved, and one of the things I miss is is uh, getting critiqued. And you're you're in this comfortable environment with 20 other kids that are all very passionate about the projects, and they all had to uh, to solve the same design problem. And when you put your work up on the wall, you know there'll be you know five kids standing around looking at your design and telling you what they like and what they don't like. And uh, you know at my job, I really wish I had that. Mm. <laughs> You know, I'm like, dude, I could benefit from that right now. And, and, uh, you know, I, I can go ask other designers, but you don't have that. And, um, that was one of the, one of the things that I think I learned the most from. Yeah. I mean, the, having a pool to kind of, uh, of feedback, whether it's, I mean, back in the day it was students and your instructors, but, you know, having, you know, somebody to, uh, um, Give you share their thoughts with you. Um, I have a couple of friends that are instructors uh, at Sac City um, in the art side, um, and they uh, they uh, have places at Verge, and you know you go down to Verge on Open Studios, and you walk through all those yeah. studios. You can see why sharing a you know a space with others with similar creative feel, you know, creative act, uh, expectations and aspirations. Um, that uh, you get you get that feedback, and so it can be being creative in isolation is a is a difficult thing to do. I think. I agree. I agree. I think that um, like so, I'm part of a um, art studio, um, the art studio of Sacramento that's downtown off 17th and uh, 18th and I Street, and um, I, I really when you go there and you're around other artists and we're all painting at the same time you really feel, well, one is you feel motivated because other people are doing it and you see other people going, wrapping up paintings or you, or you see how good they're doing. You're like, man, I really want to push myself and get even better. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you feed off of it. And um, I think it's really important yeah, to be around people like that and be around a community of either artists or graphic designers. And and um, where I work is it's a design unit and you know we have maybe i don't know like eight eight designers and um you know so we I, we kind of get that still but it's not the same as being mm-hmm. you know in the cohort critiquing but at least we do get to kind of talk to each other once in a while hmm. yeah and I, the i think the advantage to the to the cohort and the, the critiques is that if you're with somebody a while you also feel freer to maybe be a little bit more straightforward with them and, and tell yeah. them, not feel like you always have to like, you know, just tell them the good stuff. You can, you spend some time with them. They can take it. You can like give them a little bit more of like, Hey dude, you have to, you know, you have to work on that. Cause that's not up to it. Dude. And when you're in a cohort, you're showing up every day, you're super tired. You're, you know, you're seeing these people that, that you've seen every day for past year and you get pretty comfortable with them. I remember that for sure. I remember um, also. I mean, same with the teachers. It's like you have you have the same teacher maybe multiple times, and so you'll really you'll really appreciate their advice coming through. Yeah, nowadays that's the way we have it set up. All our current uh, full time instructors 
every every cohort will see each of them twice, and usually it's back to back. And so you ha you get to spend you know a full two semesters with that person. And you know I tell students you know everybody has their different approaches. Some instructors are going to be like. Yeah, that, that that what they tell me is is jiving. Their process is very similar to my process, but other instructors will have different processes, and it's good to get a sense of, of a variety of approaches. And it's also good to have a you know a deep dive experience with those individuals and really kind of see what they have to share. Yeah, I agree. Because um, you all have your own experiences and um, and your own history, and you bring it to the class and. And um, I, I know my favorite teachers were you and uh, Forrest, definitely my favorite. But I also really like Gwen. I mm -hmm. thought Gwen was great, and I really appreciated what she brought. And um, maybe I can have Gwen on one day, too. I don't know. I'll have to reach out. But That would be great because, uh, I mean, she's the heart and soul of our program. So uh, she brought into existence. Like, when, uh, from what I understand, when the program started at Sac State, it was – uh, wasn't under the uh, design umbrella. I think that was before there was a design uh, uh, a design program department. That's the word I was looking for. And uh, and, and you know, and her, it was her sweat and tears and energy that you know made it there. So then first next was Mario, then I came on and Young and John, and John was the chair of the department before me. So. He's really loving the fact that he's getting to teach again because, the, you know, I I'm, I'm enjoying being the department chair. Uh, it's definitely a challenge uh, being a, a rookie, but um, the the part I kind of hesitate the reason I kind of hesitate about it is I only teach one class and that class it might be once a year, it might be twice a year. So I'm not going to have that like, you know, once you've had kind of the flip side of what we were talking about before as an instructor. When you've had a class and you have them again, then you you know the personalities, you know like you know what they're interested in, what they're not. Everybody you know talks about what they spent their break doing or what they did last weekend, and you know people are interested in video games or role playing games or yeah whatever hobbies you have. You can, you know you find other people interested in the same thing. So uh, I'm gonna miss that a little bit because you're not gonna I'm not gonna get that kind of deep dive now that I'm uh, chair. Yeah, but we need experienced people like you as a chair of the department. So, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but I think it's for the best. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. I have, you know, fingers crossed it's going well. And I think uh, I'm I'm getting a lot of back from it, from feeling like I'm helping the other instructors uh, do what they can to help the students. So I'm, a, I'm removed from the students, but I feel like I'm providing, you know, the kind of help and support that I normally provide the students and providing that to the, the department. And so trying to, you know, keep the, keep the mundane stuff off their plate and let them do the, the, the work of teaching people. So that sounds good. Sounds like you're doing a good job. So um, I took the liberty of, of looking you up on Rate My Professor. And um, did you, you have glowing reviews on there. You're, you're four and a half out of five stars. So congratulations on that. I agree with it, too. I was reading the comments. I was like, yep, that's right. Uh, there was a long time where I would get, um, uh, they recently took off their chili pepper rating. <laughs> uh, I don't know what student got 
put up on a dare on this, but yeah, I used to have a chili pepper. Um, and my uh, friends that I play games with would, you know, every now and then they're like, oh, yeah, I went on Rape My Professor. And guess what? Richard has a chili pepper. I'm like, eh, yeah, that's somebody's made a mistake. <laughs> so, what's was chili pepper mean? It meant that you're apparently good looking. <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. And then apparently they took that off recently. So, uh, it's probably for the best. That's, that's pretty hilarious. <laughs> Well, that's good. Well, congratulations on getting the chili pepper. Thanks. <laughs> All right. So, um, so the future. What do you think about the future of the design department? What do you think? I mean, I I know when um when I was going there, a lot of it was was print oriented, and I know that nowadays everything is uh, digital, and um, I know that in my profession, I deal with a lot of accessibility. Mm-hmm. Is that something that's being addressed in the in a, the department? Yeah, I'm trying to remember how many years ago it was now. So so we have a spring show every year, as you're well aware, and that's when uh, the current graduating uh, seniors get to show their work. And it's yeah, often, I got to judge it one year. Yes, we often ask our alumni to come yeah. back and judge, and it's also where it's an honor. the, the uh, previous cohorts get to come back and meet each other. Often they'll be like, hey, let's get together. We haven't seen each other in a while. Let's go. I'll go to the spring show. But that's also where we... The faculty like hear from the alumni and hear about what's going on out there in the professional world. And so about maybe five or six years ago, we were hearing more and more about, okay, we need some classes on user experience, interface design, et cetera. So we went and made a case for getting a new hire. And so about, I think it's four years ago now, we hired a new instructor, uh, Lauren Kelly, uh, she's our interface user experience instructor. Uh, she's been great. Uh, she's just awesome to have on the staff. The students uh, love her. Uh, she's just phenomenal. And so we have, so we give the kind of user experience interface track, you know, the same amount of time as the, like the print track. And so wow. for for the last two semesters now, you take one class that is interface user experience digital oriented and the other one that is print oriented uh magazine oriented kind of multi-page layout yeah, that's really balanced I, I think that's very important i know um user experience is huge now and i can't tell you how many personal personally how many designers i know that that went over from graphic design to user experience mm-hmm. and um they make a lot of money so it's a good field to go into. Yeah, that's definitely where the money's at nowadays. But and it's not as creative. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I, it all depends on you know what where you get your energy from. I would say one of the things I always liked about her class is, and I assume she still does it, is they would take field trips to escape rooms because that's a certain kind of experience, right? So when we define a user experience, we're talking about putting somebody in a situation. And then kind of seeing how they interact in that situation. So an escape room is an interesting kind of way to kind of analyze that. Real world physical user experience. Yeah. And so I always thought that was great. And so, uh, yeah, there's designing forms, uh, even just paper forms. There's a certain uh, aspect to problem solving that's uh, definitely different than, you know, designing a poster. But at least in my case, 
this might be a little bit of my engineering background coming through. There's, there is a, you can get lost in that space. Just like, like I said, I wasn't, I generally fairly good at math. I, when I used to do, a, take those uh, math classes in college, you know, a math problem can also put me into a space where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm so intent on solving that, that the time goes past quicker. I didn't realize I was spending, you know, 20, 30 minutes on it, et cetera. And so there's a different um, experience related to designing interfaces, designing uh, uh, applications, designing posters. But I feel like they all touch on a similar creative energy. It's but they're not all for everybody. So you you find what you know you feed off of, and you follow that. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. Um, all right, let me ask you a question because you told me about your fine art background. I know about your design background. So one of the things that I say is, is graphic design is communicating a message. Fine art is communicating an emotion. I think I would uh, partially agree with that, I would say. I would say um, depending on the kind of design you're doing, there might be some emotions in there too. What, I always, what I've always um, – told students, this is going to be another roundabout answer, but I'll get there, probably. Um, <laughs> no problem. Is that uh, if I were to start a school from scratch, I would have the art students and design students take the same classes because what I want them to learn is visual communication. So whether they use that visual communication to communicate a message or an emotion or some combination, 90% emotion, 10% message, or vice versa, um, it's all about, in my mind, being uh, having the skills to convey the, the experience you want. And that takes practice, and that takes understanding, and it takes visual literacy. And so I, and I feel like design students and art students could push each other in interesting ways. And in my mind, I would almost, I, I would definitely want it, uh, usually call myself an artist, but I also wouldn't necessarily call myself a graphic designer. I feel like I fit in that space in between. And so if you want to communicate something, I think designers get that message from a client, but I feel like artists get that message from somewhere else. And depending on the kind of art they do and the kind of experience they're trying to project to the audience, that could be a, you know more formal message oriented or it could be more emotional. So I feel like there's a lot of room in there. And my I've always thought the differences from where the message is coming from versus, you know, the kind of message. I love that answer. That was great, man. <laughs> I'm gonna have to re-listen to that and memorize that because that is where it's at. And I like because I always had it like like black and white, like one or the other, but um but you're putting it in percentages and uh being having a mix of both and I'm like, that's where it's at. So um, one of the, the last questions here that I wanted to ask you before before we uh, wrap up here is, um, so what advice, well, how about the two questions? What advice do you have for, um, for someone that wants to get into the graphic design program? And then the second question is, is what advice do you have for people that are have been in the program for 15 years like myself and maybe feel like they're a little stuck and they're maybe um, topped out? Well, the first part to get into the program, I think uh, 
and I talk, we have a student organization called Grids, and I often uh, uh, go to their meetings. I try to go, you know, once a year if I can, and, you know, answer questions, and they ask and ask a similar question. And I think this, the best thing you can do is uh, increase your visual literacy, which sounds like overly academic, but um, I tell them, like, if you find things that you think are visually interesting, then take them, put them up on your walls at home, put it up, uh, put it on your desktop, put, surround yourself with things that make you curious about what you're seeing. Um, because a lot of, of skill comes from looking at things and trying to figure them out and living with them and experiencing them and find, you know, Find the things you're you're not sure why you like it. Like it could be like everybody else could say that's the ugliest thing I've seen, but there's something about it that speaks to you. Take it, live with it, put it with other stuff that you're living with. Kind of make a home for yourself that uh, that gives you something to feast on visually. And you're gonna learn the more the more things you look at in the way that you're curious about, the better you're gonna get at looking at things, taking things apart creating your own things so visual literacy mm -hmm. wow that's a genius answer yeah <laughs> now your second question uh remind me so so it's someone that's been in the industry for a while would you and maybe they feel stuck at the job because that's what happens when you've been at the job for 15 years or 20 years and um would you advise them going back to school getting a master's or or would you advise them to um just get a different job or, or, or I don't know. Do you have any <laughs> advice at all? Cause, cause really what I want to do is, is mm -hmm. um, give advice to, to people starting out in, in the design industry and give advice to people that have been in it for a while. Yeah. You kind of stole my answer there a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would. So the reason to not go to uh, uh, get your master's in design school is to make more money. Cause that is not going to be the result. <laughs> um, you, uh, a lot of there's really two people, two reasons why people get their masters in graphic design. One is because they like to teach, um, and then uh, and that's always been my. I didn't realize it at first, but I, I just love college campuses. I love hanging out there. I love like library. I just it's it, it's a great place to be. And as you and when you listen to my kind of like life story, all my jobs. All the you know all the, the things that kind of pushed me on were always around schools, and so I had, you know that's you know something that always draws me. Um, so going to get your master's um, can be oh I want to teach, and that's a great reason. I would say half the people that I went to RISD with were people that were like I need a change, right? And sometimes they went to school and they uh, they went back to the same place, but they gave them like a break. Like, now not everybody can afford, like, not all places will let you go disappear for two years. And disappear might be too strong a word because you could still freelance and stuff like that. But um, getting, you know, getting out of the rut and trying something new. And the nice thing at that point is after you've been in the profession for a while, you know what where your questions are, right? You know where the things yes, you're interested in. Definitely. And so if you find a grad school that lets you explore those, the bigger problem about going back is 
people get used to a lifestyle and not being in school and you forget like, <laughs> okay, if, if you're going, let's say cross country to RISD and you're like, it's going to cost a whole lot. You're probably going to be living in a small apartment. You might even need a roommate again. And most of us like, you know, we, we forget how it feels to be like, Oh yeah, I was poor and in school and uh, sharing a lot of space with others. And so uh, it takes a little getting used to if you're, you know, you're older and going back for your master's. Kind of thing. A lot of late nights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember that. But it's definitely, I think, it, it is, it's a good reason to kind of like experiment and try something. And often, I think the better students, uh, grad school students are the ones that do kind of like what we were saying before, have more experience. There are some students that try to immediately go from their undergrad into master's. And I generally don't recommend that because you need to get some life experience that isn't directed by your instructors, right? So your programs in school, you know, you you have some creative freedom. You get to experiment some, but you want to get a couple years out where you're, you know, you're directing the course of your life and then apply to master's. So, uh, so yeah, if you're, if you're feeling like, um, you're in a rut, I mean, going back to school is a uh, reasonable answer. I think changing jobs could be a a solution too. Um, It just all depends on, you know, how lucky you are, how much, you know, there's, I have to, you know, say going back across my life, uh, you know, I had a lot of opportunities there. I was was lucky in a lot of ways and my gut always led me in the correct direction but i had always had a fallback where it's like well if my if my gut leads me somewhere wrong i have family to fall back on i have these other things to fall back on i know not everybody has that true so so yeah yeah so if you if you can afford grad school if you can afford to consider another job those are great options not everybody can do that i will say something that might be a so one thing we haven't talked about and i don't know if you know this emory but i'm a uh, big meditator i uh i uh been on a couple silent retreats like a 10 day a seven day silent retreat and uh spending some time uh, uh figuring out like where your thoughts are coming from and where they're going and, and some you know and taking some time to reflect so every morning i spend you know 30 minutes you know like just slowing down seeing what's on my mind, see where it's going. And I think that can um, maybe put you in touch with your, your guts a little bit more, with your intuitions. Um, but it can also maybe show you how to get more out of whatever circumstances people are in at any point. That's a great answer. You're the second person today that, that talked about meditating in the morning for half an hour. Really? So, um, you know, I've done some meditation in the past. Um, so maybe I'll start doing that. I like it. Excellent. Cool. Well, um, all right, Richard, we're getting to the very end. Um, I want to say thank you very much for, for being on um, the first first episode of Monsters and Suits podcast. I'm honored. It's been great. Thank you very much. And um, this has been brought to you by We Are Sacramento and The Loft 916.